Today on the podcast, I have Joe Lumen, and she is an amazing speaker and she's brilliant. And I'm so excited to have her here today. I'm a huge fan of hers. She talks about purity culture, decolonization, deconstruction, white supremacy, trauma and healing, LGBTQ and faith resources. And today she's going to be talking about religious abuse and what that means and how we need to get off the treadmill and start actually connecting with self. This is an episode you do not want to miss. She is a woman that you do not want to miss. So please stay, stay with me, stay tuned. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith with a Y, and I am your host, Meredith Willett. Today, we are going to go deep, changing lives, and I am giving you the keys to the castle. Okay, guys, like if I were a spritz of organicness and beautiful smells and everything, this would be it. You have to check out this company. Please go over there right now. I'm literally in heaven. It's youneedtherhappy.com. And she has these three amazing spritzers. She's a certified master flower essence therapist. She has come up with Calm the F Down go the F to sleep. And her last one is rise the F up. I mean, come, this is screaming Meredith. And right now you can go over there for 20% off your entire purchase using code Meredith 20. And she also does a subscribe and save. So after you use your code Meredith with 20 for 20% off from there on out, you can use a subscribe and save for 15% off every month order. So you can spray this in your room, pillow, office, whatever, just let that shit go. So Joe, thank you so much for being here with me today. You're like literally TikTok famous, Instagram famous. Your, your message is unbelievable. I feel super blessed to have you here today talking about religious abuse. And I mean, to me, you're just brilliant. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much. That is so kind of you. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah. And not everyone's going to like this conversation. This is, this is different. This is going to be different to a lot of my listeners, but I think that this is a, there's a time and a space for it. And I think that that time and space is right now. So please tell my listeners and everyone how your story, let's just put it that way. What's your story? Yeah. So I am Colombian. I was born and raised in Colombia and Colombia is societally Catholic. So Mm -hmm. a lot of Catholic notions and a lot of Catholic ideas are just very rooted in our culture and people don't even realize that. Right. So whether you're Catholic or not, just Catholic ideas are very rooted in who we are. And so my parents weren't necessarily very religious, though Catholic notions and ideas of life relationships, of sexuality, of all the things were a part of my upbringing. And, you know, mentions of like very well acquainted with Jesus and the Bible and things like that. And then I, my dad became a Christian when I was 14 years old. And then I became a Christian and then moved to the U.S. after college and went, became an intern at a church. I interned at a church for two years. I also worked for the church, for that church, for those, for the time that I was there. And then I moved to San Diego to help start a church, started working at that church and was there for 10 years, got my master's in ministry and theology and just worked inside of different spaces in the church, doing different things. And in, you know, learning a lot of different things. And, but I was so uncomfortable 
you know, and that as more time went on, I was more and more uncomfortable asking a lot of questions and recognizing that a lot of the things that we've been told are good and healthy and care and love are really not at all. And so asking questions of what does it really look like to care for people? Because certainly making them Christians is not caring for them, you know, making them believe in the things that we believe is not care. It's not love. So asking questions about that, what does it mean to be in community? Because community cannot just be all of us sitting here in agreement. It certainly has to be deeper than that. And so just asking all these questions, which didn't sit well with a lot of people, ended up leaving the church eventually after a lot of different religious abuse and trauma and recognizing that and not being able to tolerate it anymore. And the further away that I've walked of Christianity, the more that I've noticed two things. And one is Christian hegemony, which is, you know, the pervasive Christian ideas that go beyond Christian spaces, but are a part of all of our culture that we call even secular now is more pervasive than I thought. Like there is a lot more Christian ideologies in the society that we have in the West than we think there is. And then two, most of us don't have healthy relationships, not because we don't want to be healthy, but because what we've been told is healthy and good and love and care is neither one of those things. It's just manipulation and control and coercion and abuse. So then I started just having these conversations about what does it look like to really move toward a society that is healthy, that is working for everyone that is caring, especially for the most marginalized. Because if the most marginalized are cared for, everybody else is well. And so I started having those conversations. And to me, they were spiritual conversations. So I continue to consider myself a Christian, though I don't believe in most any of the traditional Orthodox theology. But I consider myself a Christian because a lot of Christian spiritual ideologies have shaped a lot of my beliefs and have also been a part of my own healing. Not just that, you know, there is a lot of indigenous spirituality that has shaped me too. And a lot of different, like studying, studying neuroscience and neurobiology and studying about trauma, all of those things kind of connected together are such a big part of my own healing and my story that all of that is just part of who I am. And I don't have to deny or negate any one part of that. But yeah, Yeah. that's kind of what I do right now. Just having conversations about what does it really mean to be healthy? What is unhealthy that we've been told is not unhealthy? And how do we move together there first individually and then together? Yeah. And it's interesting when you're talking about, I, I, I think it's interesting that you went from Catholic to Christian. And so how would, because most Catholics would believe that they're Christian, but not all Christians believe that they're Catholics, clearly. So you went from being like a non-practicing Catholic to a practicing, like, is that like a fundamental Christian kind of church that you're referencing back then? It was, it was an evangelical church, non-denominational, but evangelical nonetheless, as far as as ideology goes, a lot of fundamentalist beliefs for sure. Yeah. They were considered, they considered themselves really modern and cool because, you know, non-denominational churches are really just Southern Baptist churches with a better with rock music, with, with exactly. a better website and a guitar on exactly. stage. Right? And people that are, and, and hipsters. So, so yeah, like it was just as fundamentalist, but they ordained women, for instance, but women right. had to still be underneath men. So it was soft complementarianism. The idea that women have to still be under the submission of men, but women can preach, but still the leader is a man. So, you know, like these kind of tiptoeing around oppression and making it less overt, (laughs) but aggressive nonetheless. Yeah. And so a lot of like, I love what you're saying because you're like, I still believe in a lot of the Christian 
teachings, I guess is the word. And that's where I'm at. And it's such a weird kind of rope to walk because there's so many things that I'm not on board with. You know, like I think about all the people that still today go into other countries and try to colonize by way of preaching by trying to save people and, and, you know, and they parlay it that way. And so, and you do talk about that through a lot of your teachings that people can find on your link tree through, through Instagram. There's, there's so much information that you've taken the time to show how, what we're talking about today has literally blanketed our, our globe. I mean, our entire existence. And it's so interesting. I was just having a conversation with a group last night about that mother knows best, this fear, this God that we're supposed to fear, honor your parents. And it's this whole societal brain screw of if I'm not in a healthy relationship with God, Jesus, the church, my parents, my, you know, who, my family, that there is something inherently wrong with me because God says so. Right. And because the church says so. And it is so destructive. I mean, I have friends that are in the LGBTQ community who their parents have literally just more or less walked away from them because where I sit because of the way that they were born, which, you know, whatever. And so, I mean, this, this, this Christianity, and I almost wish there was another word for it. It's like cancer. You know, there's a hundred thousand moments of cancer and it's hard to kind of blanket it. And so it's, it's almost like, I wish that there was like, maybe we just call it religion in general, like religion is so destructive and it's so based in control. Yeah, absolutely. You know, systems of oppression have existed for always. We create all these systems of oppression. And the further we go into why the system of oppression was created, the more that we realize it's just a response to trauma. So if you marry a traumatized group, a traumatized group of people with enough power, you have a system of oppression. That's why healing is so important because the only way that we're going to move away from oppressive ideologies and oppressive societies is if we have healed people that can process their trauma in such healthy ways that they don't resort to maladaptive coping mechanisms that end up oppressing the next person. For for most people, ending oppression means ending oppression for me, which then translates into becoming the oppressor. That's not ending oppression. That's just ending it for you, but you'll become the oppressor. Somebody else is going to be oppressed. And so that's where we have the difference between, you know, what they call the first wave of feminism and the second wave of feminism. First wave of feminism was just let us be just like men, but we'll continue to oppress women of color, which, well, that's not helpful. (laughs) So spiritual ideas, religion is such an effective tool for systems of oppression to be able to thrive. Because this is not now a personal idea that I'm sharing with you. I'm not trying to push a personal narrative. I am pushing the word of God. I am pushing this narrative from the divine that goes further. So how can you deny the good thing that this divinity wants? It's not me. It's the divine. So It's not that I reject you. It's not that me, I don't have an issue with women. I don't have an issue with LGBTQ people. It's God who does. So you're able to divorce yourself from the oppression and just blame this God, this being that is untouchable and like unseen and say, it's just the God, you know? And how do you know that it's the God? Well, there's this book that says that. And it's my interpretation of that book. And it's the... 
absolute ignorance of knowing how the book was crafted. And I mean, not, not total ignorance, it's willful ignorance yeah. of how the book was crafted or who wrote the book or who put together the book. And so religion really is such an effective weapon for oppression that all oppressive ideologies and all oppressive systems throughout history have had a component of religion in them. Right now, we just happen to be in the Western world inside of a Christian hegemony where Christianity has been the dominant religious group for the last 1700 years in the West. And so really like Christianity is what is being used, but get rid of Christianity. We'll find another one if we are not dealing with the root cause, which is Trump and abuse and undealt with, untreated, unsupported trauma. Yeah, I did a whole series of people of color series, and I wanted to get a lot of different perspective to my primarily white listeners, you know, admittedly, and get a perspective that they might not be privy to sitting in the suburbs or whatever. And I thought that was really important. And what I think is so important about this is I want people to really listen to what you're saying and how our brain allows us to create an other, yes. to create them over there. Like people love the Well, Haiti keeps getting hit with hurricanes because of sit. I mean, I just can't. And we did that with AIDS back in the eighties and it's right. because of God and it is justified. We are allowed to make those people, these people, the other, right because of like you're saying, like you just said, God, but I really want people to look in their minds and see what they are justifying by way of God or sin or whatever it is. And I think that it's so funny because if you, if you really look at the teachings, it's God created all of us and you're just supposed to love people. That's pretty much it. And honestly, honestly, We have gone so left of center to think that we're supposed to judge and evangelize and and, and bring everyone to Christ. And this is all of our responsibility at everyone's detriment. Right. And you know what? It's we have created a society and this is not. I think that when people hear me say things like we have created a society, they think, oh, so there is other other people are doing better. No, we are evolving as a, as a human race. We are evolving as a species. And we, because of lack of tools, because we didn't know about trauma, we didn't know about our brain, you know, up until 60 years ago, we had no idea how emotions functioned. And now we have a whole bunch of theories that explain how emotions function and neurotransmitters and trauma and how our brain actually processes information. So we have better tools now, but because of the lack of tools, we have created a society where it is not only acceptable, but we have been all indoctrinated into having certain implicit, negative implicit biases towards certain people groups and alternatively positive implicit biases about certain people groups. So the way, and, and that, we have not created a society where being mindful of that, being aware of that, having an open mind and being completely conscious of what's happening inside of our brain is even a thing at all. 
because we are inside of a capitalistic society where everybody's just going, going, going to be able to survive. So yeah. there is no time to just simply stop, be mindful and have mindful. And that's here in the West for the most part. There are a lot of Eastern religions and a lot of ancient indigenous religions that or societies really is what I'm talking about. Indigenous ancient societies and Eastern ancient societies where mindfulness and awareness was celebrated and it was a value that mattered. But in the in the West for the last, I don't know, at, at least since the French Revolution, we have created this rush, you know, so we rush through life trying to survive all of us. And nobody's stopping enough to be mindful and say, what is it that I believe? What is it that I think? What is it that I have been conditioned to believe about the other? Who are the others in my life? And it goes way, like the more questions that you ask about things like that, the deeper that it goes. Yeah, I was just reading yesterday a book and the book was about feminism. And in the book, it talked about how heterosexual men have not been conditioned to love women. They don't love women. They want to have sex with women, but they love men because they love and honor men. They respect other men and they listen to other men. They put up in pedestals other men. They believe in the expertise of other men, but women, they just want to have sex with. That's that's hetero, you know, heterosexuality inside of the culture that we have is really very homoerotic. Like it's men are for men. Men are the epitome of wisdom, the epitome of respect. We value their lives above everybody else's. And that is what love is, care and, you know, respect and honor and being able to see the other. Love is not wanting to have sex with me. And so, but we don't question that enough, right? Because we say, well, I want to have sex with her. Therefore, I love her. Nope. You do not. You are using me. And so the, the deeper that you go into these narratives of how have I been conditioned to dehumanize another person, the more that you realize, wow, I've dehumanized some groups of people a lot more than others. And the more privileged identities that you have, the more that you have been conditioned to do that. And that's why it matters that we say God is a man because what are you doing? You're humanizing a group of people. And you know, the, the paintings of this man was never a black man, was it? It was never an indigenous looking man, was never an Asian looking man. This man was a white man. And so we created all of these narratives and our psyche has been conditioned to value some above others. And that value is seen in the way that we treat them, whether consciously or subconsciously. And so the, the work really and this has been all done through a lot of religion, of course. Yeah. But the work then is to question and become mindful and aware and say, what are the things? If, if the goal is to love others, as I love myself, by the way, I have to then be mindful and aware of the ways in which I love myself. Do I even love myself? The ways in which I love or do not know how to love others. Yeah. So if you if you stumble on your page, it can be jarring to hear some of the stuff that you're talking about because it's literally such a 180 from most Americans' daily conversations and lives and the way that they've been raised. And people love their religion. People love their stand-up, sit-down. People love their the things that they do, the rituals that they take part in, the ideals that they belong to, because it creates such an identity. And what we're saying is, is please 
step into an identity crisis, strap <laughs> on some cognitive <laughs> dissonance and let's do this because this is big stuff. This is an undoing of seeing honor, you know, obey the, the husband, honor your parents, because a lot of this in let's just take it down to the microcosm of the household. Yeah. A lot of this is used to raise, control, manipulate, Absolutely. and keep in check children. Yeah. Yeah. It starts there, right? So it starts there. You're supposed to honor 100%. your parents. But because there is this, this hierarchy, it's God. And below God is the parents, especially the dad, then the mom, then the children. So we create this hierarchy. And the thing is, when you've been conditioned since childhood to see this hierarchy, the hierarchy doesn't go away because you become an adult. <laughs> the hierarchy continues to exist. And so you continue to look subconsciously for spaces in which you are inside a hierarchy to feel safe because that was the idea of safety that was given to you. So we are literally groomed to be abused inside of our jobs, inside of churches, inside of our romantic relationships. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite literally speaking about shifting the way in which we do life, shifting the way in which we view not just ourselves, but the other, yeah. in which we view our interconnected relationship to other people and to earth and to jobs and to our identities, right? So we're told you're supposed to marry, you're supposed to have children, you're supposed to, you're supposed to have a job. And all of our identities then are summed up in the things that we do. But we, deep down, none of us really know who we are because that's not the focus. That's the focus is fit in, get into these boxes and follow like the, it's like a conveyor belt, right? Yep. Like our yep. life yep. becomes this conveyor belt where we're just kind of checking off all the things. And in the meantime, we could just jump off the conveyor belt and really truly live. live. But that is so scary because I'm, I'm also speaking about jumping into the unknown and the yep. uncertainty of what is this going to look like? What does that mean? What does it mean that I am beyond my identities? What does it mean to raise children outside of the paradigm of of control? What does it mean to have romantic relationships outside of the paradigm of control and outside of the paradigm of I'm incomplete without you? Shifting the, the idea of the epitome of existence is making a bunch of money, getting married and having 2.5 kids and a big house. Like that's not the epitome of existence. There is so much more and so much deeper that we can experience. And so, but it is scary. Because what is that? Well, it depends on who you are. It depends right. on how you're wired. It depends on, you know, I, I cannot give you an answer. You have to kind of jump off this cliff and believe that it's going to be better off the cliff than in the safety of the top of this mountain that is not real. Yeah, but it, this works for white men. Right. It works. It makes it makes success easily boxed, easily packaged. Yeah. They're already there. We know yeah. what it looks like. <laughs> we know what it looks like. We know what it doesn't look like. We know who doesn't have it. And so if all of a sudden we stir the pot, switch it up, change happiness into all of the amazing folks that I saw when I was in Bali, when I was in India and, you know, was walking through the poorest of the poor and they all had a smile on their face and were spending the days with their children. If we switch up the definition of success and happiness and all of those things that we as Americans think that we are the best country in the world because we've got these things. <laughs> I mean, <Right. laughs> like where, where do we go from here when all of a sudden 
living in a van down by the river is now success. Right. Having time to yourself is now the epitome of a successful life. Choosing to stay together, not because marriage is success. Knowing thyself is success and happiness and a fulfilled life versus working to work, to work, to working to work. Right. Or attaining possessions. And honestly, if you, if you look deep down, everybody's attaining possessions that they don't need. It's very different. Between, like there is a difference between making sure that you are having your basic needs met, like yeah. everybody needs a home. And there is a totally different like narrative where it's like just hoard more than you need. And so, yeah, where you look and people are just trying to appease their insecurities and trying to appease their, their deep hurts and their own trauma by hoarding possessions, hoarding relationships, hoarding people, instead of saying, I am not well, I am not well. So I need to actually question what's going on within me. And that journey is so scary and it can be so painful. So it's easier to just bypass it. But in bypassing it, you're also bypassing the possibility of having a wholesome, healthy relationship with yourself and there with therefore with another people. Yeah, we are trading a shallow, fake notion of wellness for like we are, we are trading the, the good thing for this fake, shallow notion of wellness. Yeah. We're like, I'm just, this is good enough. You know, I have enough, but people are not well. We can see that. Like we see millionaires and billionaires that have all the homes, that have the marriages, that have everything that are just not well, because wellness is not found in that. And right. you can, I was talking to someone recently and I was telling them we need to create and this is something I learned from Age of Arbor. It, it didn't come up to me. I, I heard her talk about it and it had never occurred to me. And this was a few years ago. She said, how much is enough? How much is enough for you? How much is never. enough? Never. Right? Yep. We will continue to move. And she said, then I sat down and I figured out how much was enough for me. Like, how much do I need to be able to live well? Not enough to be able to survive. Survive is not good. I need to live well. To be able to have a home that is safe and good for me, where we have enough space to be able to just enjoy life, but not too much space that is extravagant. How much is enough where I can use some to be able to enjoy and have a trip and go to dinner at restaurants? How much is enough? She said, sit down, sit down and, and map it out. How much is enough for you? Because Put I can set hear the goalposts, so to speak, yeah. set the goalposts because we keep yeah, moving right. it. The more money we make, it's like a purse. The bigger right. the purse, the more crap we Better. fill with it. Exactly. <laughs> but if we have that number, and if I say, okay, if I make $250,000 a year, then I am well, I am living well. Then everything that goes above that should be shared Helping. with people that don't have enough. And so just like, hey, I, we help start businesses. We send it out, like we send it out. But we don't do that because since we are using money, possessions, wealth to appease our insecurities and we are not dealing with our insecurities, then it's never enough because our insecurities are not moving anywhere. They are not going anywhere. So the moment that we, if we don't deal with our insecurities, the moment that we get some is like, well, I need more because my insecurities are still there and I need more and I need more and I need more. Well, deal with your insecurities, deal with your trauma, deal with the, the your self-worth not being tied to your religion or your money or your partner and move toward ensuring that your well-being is intrinsic. It's like your, no, I'm sorry, your worth is intrinsic to who you are. And then when you have enough to live well, you are well. You yeah. are, even if you don't get to that place where it's enough, you're still well because your worth is not tied to all of these things. But 
especially inside of Christianity, they tell us that our worth is tied to our adjacency to this religion. And the way that we prove that we're doing the religion well is we are married. We have a healthy marriage. So all of us pretend inside of that system to have healthy marriages when nobody does. We have obedient children. So we traumatize our children into obedience so that we won't look bad and we make enough money because God blesses those he loves. And so we kill ourselves to make enough money to make sure that they think that we are healthy. None of this matters, though, because everybody is unhealthy in the system. And if instead we talked about let's just be healthy and know where our worth is and know who we are and learn to love ourselves and then shift all of our lives to make sure that we maintain that and that once we are well, we fight so that everyone else is well around us, too. Then we're talking about having a completely different society where the selfishness or I'll use of I will use you to appease my insecurities wouldn't even be tolerated. Because it's like, no, I will not tolerate you using me to bypass your own healing. Therefore, every relationship that you enter into, people are going to be holding you accountable to wellness. Like, are you okay? What are you doing? Are you okay? And again, that goes back to if you go to a Catholic church, no one else is allowed to take communion because there's the hierarchy. It's the schools. We can't have equal schools because then my kids won't be at a good school. And then your kids are at a bad school, which makes me feel better about myself. I mean, my kids on the better baseball team, your kids is on the less baseball. I mean, we see it in this. I mean, you should literally write a book called like leveling up, like, cause this is all (laughs) we're talking about is like this continuous need to level, to fill, as I called it with my oldest son, the, the continuous black hole of need that is never fulfilled by anything. And it never can be fulfilled by anything but self but spiritual self. That is the only thing that will ever fill us. And I always tell people I've been really working on this myself is nothing that is me can ever be taken away. Nothing, nothing that is me. Everything else is an egoic extension of some BS that I have floating around in my mind, be it my children, my husband, the things I own, etc. Because those things can all disappear, which would make me disappear unless I had self. Right. Absolutely. Unless I had well, self. We, don't, we don't focus on that because yeah. to, to look at self, you have to then face your trauma, face your pain, face the ways in which you have been complicit in oppression. Yeah. That is painful. That is painful, hard work to look in the mirror is hard hard work. So it's easier to just continue to fall into the narrative that I'm a good person, continue to fall into the binary ideas that I'm with the good guys. I am the good person. I'm doing the right things instead of realizing like, no, I'm a nuanced person. I'm complex. There's a lot of good in me and a lot of bad and potential for bad. I know myself. I know my insecurities and I know how those are activated by others and I will call them out. So I notice my insecurities. It's been hard work to learn, but I keep noticing. And I notice when, wow, that thing that that person said to me or that behavior of my daughter or my son or my spouse activated all of my insecurities in me. So it's not so much what they did or what they said. It was that there is this underlying trauma in me that when they said that was activated within me. And that is not for them to fix. It's for me to fix. Yeah. And I call that the button. Yeah. But it's easier to blame them than to say, Yes. No, this is on me. This is yep. 100% on me. I have to do the work. But, every, you know, it's it, it requires a lot of awareness, being awakened and living. That's what I call the difference between living and surviving. Surviving is subconscious living, 
following the rules, staying in that conveyor belt, belt, or you can live, which means jumping off, being aware, being awakened, and being able to just live every moment. You're here. You're here. So you're Reason. here. Yeah. yeah. I honestly didn't know that spritz and essential oils could be sexy, but I have to tell you, when you receive these bottles of calm the F down, go the F to sleep, and rise the F up, you are gonna be like, how, how is this essential oil so sexy? These bottles are amazing. The go the F to sleep is literally this beautiful, opaque black bottle spritzer, and it is made with essential lavender oil and lemon essential oils and it is going to put you right to sleep spritz that on your pillow go over right now you need thurhappy.com everything's in the show notes everything's on my social media pages get 20 percent off using code meredith20 after that sign up for the subscribe and save and get 15 percent off you are going to love these oils. This is not your home goods oils. This is not your drug store, you know, whatever. These are hand made by a certified master flower essence therapist. You're going to thank me. Yeah, I use it. I always tell people that when they get irritated, angry, all those kind of, you know, explosive emotions, that those are buttons inside of them that the world is pushing to let them know it needs to be healed. So right. when you have a button that is pushed, that is an opportunity for healing. So pay right. attention to those aggravations, those irritations, road rage, things of that right. nature, that when you are, I mean, and we're seeing it on social media. I mean, on TikTok alone, they're posting video after video of these women and men losing their minds in public because the world has somehow offended them right. to a parking spot or checking out first at the grocery store. And we're seeing all of this trauma being unleashed, right? Being unleashed. And I really do believe that the last five years is bringing all of this to the surface, along with what I think that you and I, the energy that you and I are kind of riding in this time is this really palatable switch over to this feminine energy where we're not going to just put on our black shoes and our black suit and our white shirt and trudge off to work. We're going to kind of pull back and go, what exactly is it? Where am I going? What am I doing? How am I spending my life? And switching over to that feminine not woman, but feminine energy of questioning and spirituality and, and really connection and care and love. And that's what I think that, that the people that are talking about these things, we're saying, hey, people out there, you might not like what we're saying right now, but I promise you we're saying it because we all want more for you. We're here trying to help save you from the treadmill from, from being completely lost inside of this world that we've created in the last couple thousand years. We're trying yeah. to help. Right. And this is the thing. If people don't want to jump off the treadmill, they don't yeah. have to. No. However, to demand that the rest of us jump on <laughs> is inappropriate. You know, so we can tell you like, hey, we're going to jump off and we're going to be not, we, we don't want to jump. Like we don't want to keep playing this game of chasing something that is not attainable. That's yeah. ridiculous. That's, that's, I mean, officially speaking, it is insanity to yeah. continue to chase something that you cannot attain knowing that you cannot attain it. So you don't, but you don't have to, you don't have to, if you are so afraid of it. And most of the people that don't want to is, are the people that are better off on the treadmill. Right. Or they think they are because nobody is well. 
Yeah. But it, it appears to be that you are because your basic needs are not being denied. What is really concerning, though, is that when we like all of us that are jumping off this treadmill and saying, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to truly live. I don't want to survive anymore, are being demonized by the people that are still on the treadmill because of the fear of you are challenging my life. You're challenging my life, my way of life. Yeah. It's like, no, you can stay on the treadmill, but you cannot demand that we stay on it either. But the reason they have to demand it is because they know that it's not good on the treadmill. Yeah. And we will make it obvious once we are out of it and well. Yeah, I always you know, tell people. Obvious. I always tell people, I'll have what she's having. Be that person that everyone like. Be the light. Be be that person. But there are so many people that do need to live inside of a box. They think, but right. that's based on the promise of heaven, and <sighs> that promise of hell. And so, if we were to read the Bible correctly, where way I see it is that heaven and hell is actually on earth the temple is the body, et cetera. And that the Christ self is that, that awakening, what we're going through right now, this awakening of the Christ self that is in us, that there's nowhere we need to go. We're not, there's no hell and damnation, but it's that fear that we've been brought up with for generation after generation, that if you check the boxes, if you live inside of this, this space, that you will go to heaven. And people are, are literally afraid of the afterlife. And we we see it in eating fish on Fridays and all of the rules that go with this afterlife theory and promise. And so I think the, the issue is really that we need to get out of those fears because I don't think that anyone's going to stop checking those boxes and living inside of the the treadmill that we're discussing until they know that none of that is real. I think that would be a very hard nut to crack because of their salvation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The fear, the fear goes beyond, you know, what's going to happen to me here. If I do all of these things, the fear is my belonging to God, my belonging to the thing that God is creating later on is going to be removed. And so, which is trauma in itself, right? This continual fear that I am going to be removed. I am going to be yeah, my, I'm going to be taken away from divinity as though that is even a possibility. That's why I like to tell people divinity is within you. There's nobody and nothing that can take divinity away from you. Divinity is intrinsic to who you are. It's like part of your DNA. It would be like separating yourselves. It's it's impossible. You'd cease, you'd cease, you'd cease to exist right. if I could separate divinity from you because it's just part of your wiring. But if you enough of that narrative in people's head. That's why it's so funny to me because I have these conversations with evangelicals, Christians, Catholics, uh, Mormons, all sorts of different people from different denominations. And their reality is so deeply framed by religious ideologies that when I talk about like, you could live and he's like, yeah, but what about hell? I'm like, what about hell? Mm-hmm. Like they cannot imagine a world outside of this framework and it takes so much time and I don't know if it's true or not I learned this inside of the evangelical church but I think that there is a a, a glimpse of truth in it that the first mention like when you are first learning about something as a child that becomes reality for you because reality like really what is reality if not constructed ideas in our head right right so whatever you learn as a child becomes your reality, the first mention. And then everything else you learn about the same thing, you compare to this reality that you've been given. 
And so if you've been given as a reality, like you see that, for instance, you were talking about there are different people that are marginalized people, people that are poor, people that are in really, really bad situations. And their parents are framing this idea to their children that they there can be joy in here, that there can be, and they are not doing that to bypass their pain or to bypass their, but instead to frame the reality that we can still have joy and be mindful and be aware and be together and enjoy life in spite of all those situations. Not to excuse that they are in those situations, but I'm saying is their children have a different mindset. Yeah. The mindset of entitlement of I deserve more, even though all of your needs are met. It's like, well, yeah, but it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough, which is capitalism within us all. And so the same happens with religion. You bring children into the world and you give them these ideas that they are acceptable in your family if they fit into these boxes. They are accepted themselves by divinity if they do all of these things. And so that becomes a reality for the rest of their lives. And they don't know that their belonging and their worth is intrinsic to who they are. But instead, they move through their entire life chasing belonging and worth. And that's their normal. That's the reality that has been constructed for them. So anything else that anybody says, they are comparing to that. And when I say your worth is intrinsic to you, they immediately go, but I'm a sinner. They immediately go, but if I don't do these things, but which creates more trauma, which creates exactly. more trauma and more trauma and more trouble and bigger holes that they need to fill with feeling better about themselves by way of leveling up around with everyone around them. Right. And more using of other people, which then traumatizes them. And so we continue to be in cycles of trauma and abuse because the reality that has been constructed for us from the get-go is not reality. It's fake. It's It's a lie. We were told lies about reality, but we continue to compare. Compare doesn't add up. So, and until we're able to change this, we will continue to do that. And that's the, the, the work of deconstructing, right? And asking a lot of questions. Yeah. And it's the reason why a lot of the privileged identities inside of the church and inside of society are pushing so hard back on people asking questions, on people saying, our criminal justice system doesn't work. Our churches don't work. Our educational system doesn't work. Our health system doesn't work. And when people say, when people hear us say those things, they go, so what do you want? Chaos? So what do you right. want? for the world to end so what do you want for nobody to marry what no because that's them comparing if it's not what i've been given everything is bad yeah instead of realizing that there are actually healthy options like we could actually reimagine this in a way that it's good for all of us is the option is not your way or chaos (laughs) there is a lot of in between there and there is a lot of beyond these narratives that we can imagine together Yeah. And it is very, because when I do talk to people about a lot of these issues, it's always, oh, so we're just going to defund the police. You know, it becomes this very throwing of the hands up, very, like you're saying, chaos. And I've spent a lot of time, clearly not as much as you and in such detail and intelligence of trying to figure out, well, what is the alternative? Like we're saying, let's deconstruct all of this. And so I try to take my brain and go, well, how I mean, I have my podcast, I have my TikTok, I have my stuff that I talk about, I have clients, but what do we do? Like, yeah. where do we go from here? Like, literally, like, do we need to get like a group of people and call it the unchurch or the <laughs> unreligion, you know, or the, you know, just call it love and love LLC. I don't, because people do have that tendency. Like it's there, we have to also speak to that human, that human desire of, of being led. 
yeah. of, of having parameters and having a writings and teachings and knowing how to do it. We need to know how to do it. You know, we need processes and tools. And so where do we go from here for people like yourself and myself and other people that are speaking about these things that want these things for friends and family in a way to teach them these things when there is no place yeah. to go? You know, I think that there are different, like, I, we are so used to having uh, formulas, right? What you're saying, we are so used to having formulas. And I think the future is not in formulas, but in the embodiment of wholeness in the embodiment of healing. So the only thing that we can do is embody, embody it ourselves, not not so much have a cognitive understanding of wholeness and healing and wellness, but instead making the effort of embodying wholeness and healing and wellness. And when we embody these things, we know what to do. We know what that means then for each one of us. So for me, I create spaces in different kinds of ways where I can have conversations where people can be safe to be able to say, what about this? What do I do with marriage? What do I do with monogamy? What do I do with, I don't want to have children. What do I do with all of these things with my job? Like, I don't want to have a job. Nobody really wants to have a job. Everybody wants to just do things that they are passionate about. How do we create a society then? where people get to do what they are passionate about and also do a whole bunch of things that we are not so passionate about but have to get done. So creating all of these spaces in different ways. But that doesn't mean that that's what everybody has to do. It means that what everybody has to do is what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to show up? Not not for others, but show up for yourself. What does it look like to to say day after day, I will not betray myself for the sake of fitting into these damn boxes that are not serving me. I will not betray myself. And when I do betray myself to say, damn it, that's okay. I won't betray myself tomorrow and have compassion for yourself. And so what I have to do and the tools that I get to share are not the same tools that the rest of everybody are going to share. And so there is not so much, some people are leading this movement as all of us have different tools that we're sharing together. And while I may lead in some area, you're going to lead in a different area and I have to want to be under your leadership to learn. And so we are understanding, we are so deeply aware of who we are, what we can bring to the table and what we cannot. Yeah. When you're talking about it, when you're talking about it in that way, I love it so much because the, the individual with all its complexities of physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, this body my body, your body, each person's body becomes the temple, the church, the learning process, such that there can be no necessary tool. You might be drawn towards certain, like you said, certain words you might say might, might ring true to someone's ears. They might be ready for my words before your words or vice versa, but it has to be an individualized experience because my trauma is different than their trauma is different than my issues or my addictions or my undoings that need to have happen. So it cannot not be individualized and inside of just, just me. It has to be here because my my things that are broken are different than everybody else's it has to come from being yeah like i am i I am there are so many things about the bible that i love still yeah but i am divinity is being able to say i am i am and and saying that is not 
shallow. It's not simple. It's this, like, I am, I absolutely I am. I exist. Right. I belong. I, I know myself. I know who I am. I am. I am. There is this intrinsic worth and belonging to being able to sit down and say, I am. And there is the divinity, right? That is where, where that divinity that is inside of all of us comes out. And that is such a unique thing. I cannot be for you. Mm-hmm. You have to be. You have to be. All I can do is ensure that in my presence, you get to be. Yeah. I I don't demand you fit into my narratives. I don't demand that you fit into my expectations. In my presence, you are. You You are. are. And that's where I don't think mega churches are ever healthy. Like there is no way that you can make a mega church healthy because it's this giant space where everyone is expected to hear the same thing. Yeah. Sunday and behave in the same way. I think that the future of whatever we want to call the church, we see in my opinion is community, just community of aware, conscious beings. The future is the only way that the church is going to make it is in this conscious, intentional effort to show up to the people in our lives, the ones that we have in our lives, the, the building of communities, the smaller, intentional, deep communities that say, you get to be in this space, you get to be, I get to be too. And together we are going to be together. And and anybody that is around us gets to be too. And we get to challenge one another and hold one another accountable when you are not being, when you are bypassing, when you are in cycles of trauma. And in, in, in gentle, loving ways, we get to say, you're not being, you're performing, you're not being, you're bypassing, you're not being, you are maladaptive coping. And so we move toward wholeness and healing because that is the standard of our communities. You get to just be. And when you're not being, we ask, how can we be a better community so that you are safe being in here and you don't have to perform for us or for your own self? And so we move toward a smaller, the, the world, the future is not bigger. It's a smaller. Yeah, more the intimate. Not, exactly. It's more intimate. It's more, I cannot see a million people. I cannot see a thousand people, really. I can only see those around me. Yeah. And so there, we don't have these massive leaders that everybody's listening to. But instead, we have a whole bunch of people having conversations and we start to flatten that, those hierarchies. We start to say, nope, you're going to have to come down from those pedestals. You're going to have to come down because there are no people that we're looking up to. We're just looking sideways at one another and showing up for one another. But first and foremost, we're looking within. Yeah. And then get to look like sideways, but we're no more look, looking up keeps us from looking in and looking there. Distraction. Exactly. Looking up. That's, that's only, the, and for those who are up, they are looking up too. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the, the God they created is really just a projection of their insecurities. They are yeah. just wanting to be that God for everybody else. Yeah. So and we, Yeah. I mean, and that goes down. back to, yeah, the ego and. There's, I mean, and that's the thing, this work is not easy. When I went through that year of really undoing all of my white privilege thoughts and still it's it's thick in there. Let's not, let's not joke. I mean, it's still in there, but it was tough. I mean, this work is not easy to undo. The gals over at Dear White Women podcast, they just, she just posted this huge thing yesterday about Asian women. And I read this post, please go over to Dear White Women's Instagram page and check them out. They're amazing. And they were just posting all about how we've so sexualized Asian women. And I mean, 
I read it and it is uncomfortable to read this stuff. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel good to be a part of anything, any society, any country, any color of skin, any, anything and read what we've been a part of. It is and, and this, this work that we're talking about now of truly looking inward, doing what they call a lot of times people say that like the shadow work, like going deep and looking at your ugly parts. It's not comfortable, but I will say, you know, you're doing the work and please, if you are listening to this and want to grow and get off the treadmill and change everything, this, this path, I will tell you, because I've been on it for a decade plus of leaving kind of that energy behind of religion and these, these things that we're talking about today. It changes everything. Everything starts making sense. The universe makes sense. You make sense. Interactions make sense. Like everything just starts falling into place and God stops being this way over there thing. That's not attainable, that we don't have a relationship that we need to go through lots of stand up, sit down, lots of communion, lots of pastors and priests, lots of levels before we, you know, angels and archangels, Ivy and saints. And God's like, way over there, way, way over there. And we got to do all sorts of stuff to get there that are literally, there's not enough time in the day. It's impossible. Yeah. And so this path that you and I are talking about is so palatable and personal. It is at one with, there is no separation. There is no waking up without God in your life. There is no, this is a totally different experience. And so I would beg anyone that is even remotely interested and it's going to be an uncomfortable ride. It is, but I would beg you to go look for someone like Joe who is doing the work, who's done the work, who's got great resources and it talks so beautifully about these topics. And so I, I am just so thankful to have you here today. You're literally one of my, I don't know. I mean, this is like girl crush. I don't even know, like, you know, hero <laughs> moments, idling here of my friend that is just doing the work that a lot of us haven't done. And so thank you for that. And thank yeah, you for being here. We do these together. It's hard. It's hard work. I have yeah. these conversations with my family, like my, my extended family in Colombia, and we're all just uncomfortable here. You know, we're all just leaning into discomfort for the purpose of healing. Like healing is uncomfortable, but it's well worth the work to do. It's so worth it. And we can get off the treadmill and we're going to do it one at a time, holding hands if necessary. There are supportive people and sites and TikToks and Instagrams and Facebooks. There's places to go to find out about this. Some of the things to look for are the trauma and healing, deconstruction. These are some code words, some hashtags to maybe look for. Decolonization, purity culture, religious abuse. These are the types of words to look for when searching for this type of information And again, you have so much. So thank you again so much for being here. I'm so excited to post this. I think I'm going to have to actually post it early. I don't think I can (laughs) wait. I think I got to get it up now uh, on the podcast. So thanks so much for being here. And I just hope that we continue this relationship and this conversation in the future. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I love having these conversations. So anytime. And you're good at it. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillets.com or on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind-the-scenes footage and outtakes. 
please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers.